Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book diva, Bonnie Golden, and also featuring Megan Runyon, YA superfan, Pat Greiner, she has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. You know what? Dog beds are pretty freaking comfortable. I have a dog bed that I bought that's too big for Echo's crate, and I have like the biggest crate. And there was one time that she was laying on the couch where I usually lay. So I'm like, well, I'll just show you. I'm going to lay on your dog bed. And I laid on her dog bed. I'm like, man, this thing is pretty comfortable. (laughs) So full disclosure, I did not finish my book this week because I've been in training all week. So I've been, you know, I can't listen to my book and do training videos. So, yeah. So how was everyone's week? Megan, part timer. I know. No, it's been, I've been so busy. But yeah, no, it's been it's been good. I've just been working and you know, when you you know cuz you're doing it right now. When you you start in a new job and you got to find out like the vibes of the office. Yeah. Whose personality's what? And sometimes that's not the best fun you've ever had. <laughs> it seems like, you know, I've been, you know, communicating, branching out, actually socializing with people, which is a big step for me because I'm such an introvert. And everybody that I've been talking to, like in our little like study groups and stuff like that, they're like the age of my son. So there's such a generation gap. Oh, yes. Yeah. Where you work uh, is is a lot of younger folks. But they're fun. They're still fun. It's just I can definitely tell the difference but i mean they're they're good people so problem of that the people i work with have all been there for like 20 years or at least like seven years all together like so you're trying to like break in and yeah i i I was in my feels about it one night last week i like texted my old coworker, and i was like (laughs) it's hard trying to get settled into a new job like yeah Right now, since it's only the first week for me, I know you've been there for what, like a month? Uh, no, almost ninety days. Ninety days on Sunday. Wow, I that's my... awesome. Mm. I freaking you know, you were saying earlier about people. being the older, older than your coworkers, and most of them. Be... I saw an article this morning about, uh, I think it's Gen Z. There are people who specialize in coaching them just for how to be in person at a job. Really. How, you know, Basic, basic communication skills, how to talk to people face to face rather than over Zoom or by text. Yeah. And us um, Gen X, I quiet. mean, we're like we well, grew up in a time it, when they... we didn't have any of that. So you had to communicate. Yeah. But they also like came into the workforce in the pandemic where everything was <laughs> was. Zoom. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did no one else watch this summer? I turned pretty, do they? No. Uh uh-uh. uh. So if you heard screaming coming from my house in Oklahoma last night, (laughs) because I watched season two's first three episodes, because that's all they dropped. Um, I reviewed the the first book last year and like when the first season came out. So this second season is like the second book, basically. And the soundtrack typically is epic. 
it always has Taylor Swift. It always has like really relevant, like awesome music. Like I want to, I go and find the playlist to the show every year because so if you haven't watched Somewhere I Turn Pretty and you don't want a music spoiler, like skip ahead now uh, because I'm going to spoil something. Who remembers like Romeo and Juliet, like the, the Leo version, right? Yeah. I mean, I never watched it, but I know what you're talking about. I've heard that so joke. much about it. I might as well have watched it. I actually remember the Olivia Hussing okay. version. <laughs> this came out when I was in all of y'all. Yeah. Okay. So some people that are listening will know, but the things like Levani and Pat won't get this. But so there's like the fish tank scene, right? Like in the Leo Claire Danes when they're like meeting each other through the fish tank at the party at the beginning of the movie, and the song that's playing is like iconic to that moment. Like I hear that song and I'm like there, and they play that song in summer. I turned pretty season two, like at this pivotal scene in episode two, I came off the couch screaming, crying. I was like, and I lost my mind. And then I got on TikTok and also then lost my mind. And I was like texting like my best friend from when I was growing up, my neighbor. And I was like, do you watch the show? And she's like, no, I was like, okay, well, I don't care if you don't ever watch the show, but I need you to watch the last 10 minutes of this scene because you will appreciate like the awesomeness and you could tell who the older millennials were on on TikTok versus like the Swifties because the Swifties had a very specific song in mind for that moment and the elder millennials were like stop uh, to quote Taylor Swift screaming crying in my living room last night because they used the Romeo and Juliet song at like the most perfect moment ever in the history of television what <laughs> song is it um, great question. Hang on. <laughs> when she says Romeo and Juliet, it makes me think of that one song. Dire Straits. Yes. Makes me think of that song. I know it's not that song because that song is way too old to be in anything current. I choreographed a number to that song. Once. Did you really? I like that when song. When I was actually. teaching dance classes. Yep. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Kissing You by Desiree. Yeah. The first two notes started and I was gone like scream i was like they're not they're not in this song right now it was a true fangirl <laughs> like if there had been a camera on in my living room last night it would have been great content <laughs> <laughs> because i was just losing my mind and the sound people of that show they need a raise because you know in the beginning of, a, of olivia rodrigo's like driver's license car when it plays like the sound of like your car beeping when you like first like don't have your seatbelt on and like you turn the ignition on back in the day it has that like beep my car still uh, does that okay yeah my yeah. most probably still have the beep they she's in her car the main character's in her car and the beep is like going and i was like if they don't transition that beep right into this song this is a missed opportunity and sure enough it rolls right into the song and i was like geniuses need a raise <laughs> like i'm sad they only gave us the first three episodes and now i have to wait every single week for a new episode because the studios got smart and we're like oh maybe we should stop dumping all of our content in one foul swoop and being screwed for the rest of the year filmmakers and tv makers have really gotten i think very very uh, smart about the use of music as an emotional reinforcer. Yeah. It seems like almost every TV show, at least every drama, you get to the last seven minutes or so, there's going to be a montage of a full musical number and just visual stuff that goes with it. No well, dialogue. Shoot, that's, that's been going on for a long time because yeah. 
I mean, every single movie that I can remember growing up, even like 80s movies, they all have an iconic song. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like more so back like early or like 80s and then like most of the way through the 90s. I feel like now it's, unless it's purposely like Lady Gaga like recorded for Top Gun, I still will always think of the original song from Top Gun. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the older music grabs you more in the movies than some of like Lady Gaga's song is still amazing. But I feel like back in the day the songs had more and maybe because they weren't lyrical. Yeah. Think about like Jaws, the song from Top Gun, like the Star Wars, like Darth Vader's March, like those songs aren't part of like lyrics. So they don't change with the culture. They're just there. Like, but there's even like songs that they've played in like real emotional moments, like in TV shows that mm-hmm. like that one song <laughs> with or without you, that song with or without you, when they play that oh. on friends. Uh-huh. Now oh, I yeah. know that song came out way before friends and I've listened to it before I watched that episode. But now every time I listen to that song, it makes me think of that episode of friends. I think it's smart that they do that because I mean, I don't know how other people are, but music, it just gets you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else, What do you have going on, Pat? Anything exciting? I feel like I took over oh. the world with my summer. Oh. I turned pretty meltdown. Gosh, well, it's exciting on a small scale. We're, uh, we're, I'm going through and doing the uh, proofreading and editing for the third book in my husband's series. So we're, we're working on that and getting that through the through the pipeline with the publisher nice. and we do an annual gala celebration at the community theater in the summer to like thank the year's volunteers and we we give out awards and we preview the upcoming season and stuff and i'm on the committee that's putting that together so nice. so that was that, that was it was kind of funny we had this meeting and somebody said well could you write like song parodies and i said yeah, I can do that. It's kind of like writing jingles, which I used to do as part of my job. And and so uh, I said, well, why don't you do some write like write some song parodies? And it started out it started out with simple stuff, but I was stuck somewhere where I had nothing to do, but I had to sit there for a while, and I was bored. And I rewrote the Glass Menagerie to the tune of Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> and I have to say. It was kind of genius, but it was all they also looked at it and went, we can't sing this. Glass Menagerie, like the play Glass Menagerie? The play Glass Menagerie, which is one of our plays oh. in the upcoming season. And oh, so man. I did the whole, the whole, then there were parts like instead of, I see a little uh, silhouette of a man, it was, I have a little figurine made of glass. <laughs> unicorn, unicorn. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, damn unicorn. We did that show in college. My just sophomore year? Rachel's yelling at me right now listening to this, going, it was this year! <laughs> uh, but yeah, we did... I must have been freshman or sophomore year, because I think I crewed that show. I think I was backstage for that. So, you know, that damn... Those damn figurines. <laughs> I bet, yeah, they're going to have to have a new one to break every night or else be able to glue it back together. Oh, man, could you imagine that job? Yeah. I wonder if we glued our... I, I don't know what we did with our... I bet we glued it. Hmm. I bet we glued it because I can't imagine. Well, we only probably had three or four shows, so maybe we had, I don't know. Depends on how close your audience was to you. That's our, true. 
our audience, we do, we're not a proscenium theater. We're theater in the round, and our closest audience members are like six feet away. If that. Oh. So you have to break it. Like, you can't fake break it. Yeah. 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 No, have you ever done Noises Off? I my, uh, my best friend has, but I haven't. Oh, my God, that show is the best. That It's a funny show. So, Vani, Noises Off is like almost kind of like the play where everything goes wrong, <laughs> but like not quite the same. So you're seeing the same act of the play but like one time it's from the like from the house perspective then the next time it's from like behind the stage and that like and then yeah uh, you see all the crazy stuff that goes on backstage and and it's really really funny sardines Uh. sardines can't forget the sardines (laughs) (laughs) there's one that's like one character's whole role is running around with a plate of sardines for like three hours (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) and then we broke our friend ben that year uh, quite literally, it because there's like a scene where like he falls down the stairs, mm-hmm. like in the I don't remember what act it is towards the end I think, and Ben got really good at fake falling down the stairs, and for whatever reason that night he did not fake fall correctly, and I was in the house watching it, and he got to the bottom of the stairs and he stood up and I was like Ben is hurt, and they're like what <laughs> and I was like he's ghost white. And he's like kind of like holding his arm, kind of like his wrist, like no one touch me. And I was like, Ben, Ben has seriously hurt himself fake falling down these stairs finally, like or stage falling. But yeah, everybody, he like went off. He finished the show, but he I think he like I don't think I don't remember if he broke it or not. But yeah, he was ghost white through the stage makeup. Like you could tell that he was hurt, (laughs) (laughs) but he made it through. But yeah, that show was. That was one of my favorites. I love that show. That's a fun show. It's kind of about as opposite as you can get from Glass Menagerie, which is pretty darn serious. And I'm and I'm thinking I'm I might audition for I don't know yet. Glass Menagerie is deep. Yeah, there are there are two really good roles for women. It, that that I see in the next season for women of a certain age, as we say, and what Amanda should be about is probably about fifty. And the other role in a show called Grace and Glory is 90. And here I am pretty much in the middle of that spread going, it's easier to make yourself look older than it is to, <laughs> to look make younger. younger. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you have really good CGI and that just doesn't happen in community theater. No, no, <laughs> no. Sorry, they can't. They can't yeah. send uh Indiana Jones's technology to work in person. Yeah. You have to do the tape and the string from across the head to give you a natural <laughs> facelift. Pull everything up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need one of those for my neck. I think we all could use a little... My little goggle. Yep. My turkey goggle. And, Bonnie, are there some people of a certain age in your book this week? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Everyone is pretty young in my book. Oh, no, that means there's lots of trauma coming our way. Always. When would I not read a book that isn't like trauma porn to the max? I mean, every once in a while, but, you know. So the book that I am reading this week, and I say reading because I am actually only an hour and a half away from finishing it. So I'll probably finish it on the way home. I'll crank it up to two and finish it on the drive home. And one of the reasons why I didn't finish it is because I had to finish Pillars of the Earth before I started this uh, book. Good God. You had to finish baby eating before you could read your book for this week? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the That's baby true. eating. Well, there is a baby eating in Pillars of the Earth too. Oh, I God, forgot there's about more that. baby oh. eating in that series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. One of the characters throws a baby straight up into the air, like as hard as he can, and somebody catches the baby. Though, just to be fair, <laughs> that time somebody catches the baby. Okay. Good. Not, but not that's, the water catching the baby? <laughs> not the water catching the baby. Somebody catches the baby that time. Okay, but we're not ahead. talking about that because I've already no. reviewed Pillars of the Earth. Everyone knows about that whole series. The book that I read this week is called When We Were Sisters by Fatima Asgar. And this is written in a very different kind of style. It's all very much an inner monologue of the youngest character. So... A lot of the details are, I want to say, the kind of muffled because you're not really quite sure until like you get bits, bits and pieces. It's not like straightforward. That was a little difficult to get used to because it's very different than the kind of books that I usually, but I actually kind of liked it. It didn't leave me guessing for too long, but it's very different and change is good, right? We're all about change. So this yes, book, change is good. Yep, change is good. Is about three sisters who are Pakistani, or I think one of their parents was Pakistani and one of their parents were American. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that because, like I said, the details are fuzzy. But the mom dies a long time ago, and then the dad is killed. I think he's killed like in a convenience store. I don't know if the convenience store is like getting robbed and he gets shot or what exactly happened, but he's killed. And so these three sisters don't have a lot of relatives because their parents moved here from Pakistan. So, you know, they're immigrants. But they do have an uncle who takes them in as, and again, like I said, this is muffled, so I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds like he takes them in as foster kids. So they're still wards of the state, but he is like their foster. But he doesn't move them into his house. He moves them into a separate apartment and he only comes and checks on them sometimes. He's not there every day. Like he comes over to check on them, like to take them to go get food and groceries and stuff. But other than that, they're basically on their own to raise each other. Like, how old are they at this point? Yeah. Do we know? Um, I'm trying to think if it says exactly how old they are, but the oldest one, Noreen, is in high school. So she's middle school, high school. So she's pretty, she's old so enough they're, to they're like pretty young. much look, to, uh, take care of herself. But um, Asia, who's the middle sister, and Kassar, who is the youngest, and I don't know if I said that right, like Kassar is only like seven Oh, gosh. And, okay. um, That's pretty darn young to be. <laughs> yeah, the middle is, I want to say, is like, you know, like 11. So basically, you're like, here, 15-year-old, raise your, cut your, yeah, children, your 13, 14-year-old, okay. you know, raise okay. raise your sisters. Okay. And Continue. I've just wondered. When you're listening to her inner dialogue, you get a lot of, like, little bits and pieces about the apartment that they're living in. And the one that they move into first has a lot of animals. Like they have like birds, but the birds never stay in their cage because the cages aren't right. And they get out through the slots and there's like a hamster and like some other animals. But 
they, they're responsible for taking care of these animals and cleaning up after these animals. But then it also sounds like the apartment is like run down because like they talk about like a rat that got into a hamster cage and like roaches and all of this other stuff. And I personally think from what I've read so far that the uncle is doing it because he wants the money for the girls. Mm -hmm. Because he, like, when he comes to get them groceries, a lot of times it's so far in between the visits that they don't have any food left in the house to eat. So they're kind of scrabbling to get food. And, like, Noreen, when she goes off to college, because this goes far enough that she's in college, like, her meal plan food, like, she'll save her meal plan food and bring it home so that her siblings can eat. I don't really care for the uncle. But besides that going on in their life, because not only one thing can go on, she also talks about bullies in school. They get bullied quite a bit, especially because of their um, nationality. And then, of course, after 9-11 happens, they get bullied even more. So you have them being orphans and having to take care of themselves. Then you have the fact that they're different than most of the kids in their school, so they get bullied. And... The youngest, who the main character is, she also is kind of struggling with her gender. She's a girl, but she has too much testosterone, so she has way too much hair. Like, she talks about having, like, a goat, like, a little goatee and and how, like, when she tries to shave and stuff, like, there's just so much more hair than what she sees on other girls. That and... It's like she's struggling with internal feelings of whether she's more male or female. She really can really see the struggle in the book when you read this that she's having with herself. She talks a lot about like how there's more than one of her and like something happens and she's like it's a pin of herself and she can watch it happen but she has no feelings of what's happening. Like she's disconnected from her own self. There's a lot of turmoil in this poor little girl as she grows up. It's a very interesting book, of course. They're orphans. Their parents are dead. Their uncle barely takes care of them. The one aunt who does take care of them and goes and takes them to do stuff and is almost like, you know, another mother to them. The uncle gets mad because they're seen too much with the girls and they start questioning whether or not the uncle, they call him like Uncle Renacted or something like that, <laughs> and uh, that he's not taking care of them. So the uncle makes the aunt go away. I'm not going to say how because you can read the book and find out, but it's just that's the kind of person that the uncle is. And I'm sure that it says what the uncle's name is, but I don't remember what it is. But it's just, it's it's a very interesting book. I don't know. It just, it's an interesting book. I don't even know how it makes me feel. <laughs> and I don't know what, what song would go with this book. <laughs> <laughs> what time period is it? Is it contemporary? It's pretty current because 9-11 mm. happens when. Oh, yeah. When they're, and 9-11 was in what, like 2001? 2001. 2001, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty current and it's. It's a good book. It's It was a little hard to get into because I wasn't used to the style that it was written in. 
But now I really am starting. Now I, I really get it. I mean, once you get a few chapters in, you get used to the writing style and you can start to pick up on key things that are happening in their life so you can get a timeline down. Gotcha. But I, I would recommend it to somebody who likes trauma porn. Maybe not Keith. No, but I, I think Keith that Keith book. would like this book if she would cry through the whole thing. If you want a good cry, maybe read this book because <laughs> I mean, your heart just goes out to these sisters just because they're just kind of left on their own in this apartment to like fend for themselves. And it's just, you can just feel their disconnect through the writing. The author is really good at projecting how they feel and how they're just forgotten. Mm -hmm. That's kind of sad. There but, are a lot of people who foster children just for the paycheck, and that is so wrong. Yeah. It is. It's very wrong. And that, again, is called When We Were Sisters by Fatima Asgar. I thought it was a really good book. And it's not a super long book for people who don't like doorstops. It's an it's only a five-hour book on audio. So, Oh, that's not too bad. So probably, yeah. what, like 300 pages for regular? Something yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So it's not, it's not too long. But yeah, oh, good. it was good. I'm going to bring the room up. And let me tell you, this book had me in a chokehold. I read this book in like three days, which is unusual for me because, you know, normally I'm just like doing other things and busy and like can't just dedicate. Part of the luck was that I happened to get the Rona in the middle of that. So I could have stuck at home. <laughs> I've evaded it for three years and it finally got me. But I'm reviewing Icebreaker by Hannah Grace and not even a trigger warning, just a general warning do not be deceived by the cartoony like characterization of the cover of this book because it is about college kids and I'm going to tell you more in a minute, but I'll post it. But just so Pat and Vonnie can see the cover there, right? Like looks oh, pretty yeah. like YA, right? Mm -hmm. I saw your TikTok on it. Yeah. Oh my God. It is so smutty. I had no idea. And no one told me like other people have read it and I texted Rachel and was like, holy shit, like, smut central. She goes, I was waiting for this text message. So <laughs> five, like, five Megan blushes. I'd say a solid four Megan solid blushes. Four. Solid four. But it was so good. But so if you're like a parent and you're a Target and you're like early high school, late middle schoolers, like, I don't know if this cute book cover. Can I read this? The answer is no. <laughs> like, <laughs> Before I get into this book, I actually had to text one of my friends because we sent our group chat had sent her cousin a whole bunch of books off her TBR list for college because there had been like some family stuff. And her mom was like, I just really would love to like fill her TBR list. So I sent this book because it was on her TBR list. And I texted in the group chat and I was like, Bridget, please tell me that your little cousin is not about to be scarred for life. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And, she's, and I was like, I know Akatar which is A Court of Thorn and Roses, for those who don't know, was on her list. So I feel like she's safe because she probably already knows the smut. But like, if she, if your aunt gets pissed off, I send her at me because I didn't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but she's like, no, I think she's good. I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks for absolving me of my book shipping guilt. All right. So our characters, we have Anastasia, which perfect name, honestly. She is a competitive figure skater. And she does pairs with her newer partner, Nathan, 
Nope, that's the wrong word. I can't find his name, but that's fine. So she's in a partnership skating and she has had this partner for the past couple years because her original partner went to UCLA and she is at Maples Hill in Maples Hill at a different school. So she gets this partner and they're like Olympic track. Like they are trying to get to the Olympics. The problem is her partner is a dick is the best way to describe him. He makes her feel like if she gains one pound that she's just too heavy to lift. Like he'll start like grunting more when he lifts her and like all this stuff. So he's just a dick. And then we have Nathan and Nathan is the hockey captain. Part of the reason I picked this book up was because I was fresh home from Culver, which I'm even wearing my Culver like hockey sweatshirt right now because it just felt right. I was fresh off the Culver reunion and I was like, hockey romance, sign me up. He's the head captain of the hockey team. And Nathan and Anastasia are kind of like, not enemies, but they're definitely not friends. And then there is a issue at the hockey rink where they have to, their, their school, their college has two hockey rinks. And they all of a sudden have to share with the figure skaters and the hockey team because somebody tore up the old one, like did a prank, but it actually caused a lot of damage. So they're having to like coordinate their team's schedules and they end up at parties together. And then the smut happens. So much smut. The best kind of smut, though, I will say. So there's a lot of hooking up. There's a lot of very descriptive hookings up. But what I loved about this book was that, yes, at the end of the day, it is a new adult, not young adult. I would say a college and above story that is very realistic. And it doesn't lose the plot in the smut. You know how, like, sometimes you read, like, romancy smutty books and you're like, there's no plot to this book. They're just just having sex the whole time. It's just uh, porn. It's porn written yeah, down like, on like, pages. Just, yeah, like, I'm just reading porn. But this actually has, like, a plot. Like, you're following the story of Anastasia and Nate and Anastasia's partner. I want to say his name's Adam. Adam sounds right right now. And how Nate hates Adam and all like the fallout that ensues um there's a whole big ass drama with adam at one point if i'm going with that's his name it might be totally wrong that he gets hurt and it like sets the whole center of the book into motion so i can't give too much away but there's it was actually an awesome story it's going to be a series but it won't be the same characters it'll be two new characters in the next book it was just announced um but it was so good. And I'm not going to lie. I, if, I, if this book had come out when I was in Culver, oh my God, I can't imagine what hockey season is going to be like this year at Culver because I can only imagine that the girls have found this book because it's all over TikTok. It is not a secret that this book is out there. I cannot imagine all these girls at Culver reading this book and just dead ass looking the hockey players in the face and being like, just like holding it up and being like, yep, we're reading the book and the hockey players being confused. And my friend agreed. I messaged her. I was like, can you imagine? And she's like, oh my God, it'd be, uh, it'd be unhinged. The amount of chaos that this book could do. So good. So good. It was worth the smut. I, I like smut. I don't dislike smut. It was a fun book to follow the journey. And the best part toward at the end of the book, you get it like a two years later. So you get kind of that epilogue to tell you kind of how everything ends which I love because sometimes you get to the romance right and like, they're like, and then they lived happily ever after. And you're like, but I want more. I want to know where they went next or, you know, whatever. 
So it does give you a little bit of that happily ever after. She also has a playlist at the front of the book of the songs. That I don't know if they're songs she feels like goes with each chapter or if they're songs that she listened to while writing the book. So that's super fun. A lot more authors are starting to do that, um, especially in like YA and like new adult where they give you like, here's a playlist to go with each chapter. Have fun. So that's always kind of cool to me. Sets the tone, if you will. Uh, but I highly, highly recommend it. I gave it five stars because it was, I was like sitting on the floor of my office eating lunch, like reading this. And I was like, no one bother me. I'm in my mind palace. Leave me be. Anytime a good hockey romance. Anytime. Which shout out to my Culver friends that are listening. Because a couple of them I have actually sent the podcast to. So it's Brooke. Yeah, Brooke and Katie. Shout out to them. Oh, and because I didn't mention this last time I was on, in case they're listening, uh, Brooke and Katie, um, I hope you have enough honey mustard. So there you have it. That's my only pun for the day. It makes sense to them. Hey, it's not very often that like I feel like I, other than the people we talk to all the time, that I feel like there's actually people listening. <laughs> like I forget that there's people listening. So I highly recommend Icebreaker by Hannah Grace. And all its smutty awesomeness. And I cannot wait for the second book in this series. It's going to be amazing, I'm sure. The next one, the sequel to that one comes out in October. Is this a debut? I think it is. But it could be just a debut for her name. Oh, like if she's using gotcha. a new name. Hmm. So I'm not sure. But under this name, this is a debut. Yes. Awesome. I haven't dug that deep. Now that I was a... just wondering. You know, Martha, she's all about the debut author. Yeah. And well, you know, you Martha, one, when Martha. she's listening to it, she's like, is that a debut? And Martha would not like this book. This is not a Mar This is a Keith and Megan book. No, that's way too much romance for her tin heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love you, Martha. Just, even, yes, even when it's smutty, it's still, yeah. It was relatable if you think back to like being a like freshman, sophomore, and junior in college and just like going crazy. Sleeping with the masses. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And they don't, like, shy away from it. Like, they talk about who all's hooked up with who. So it's kind of fun to, like, figure out who in the hockey team has slept with who in which, like, baseball or, like, not baseball, but basketball and, you know, all that. Awesome. Pat, tell us where we're going in nonfiction land today. Well, you could not have given me a better segue <gasps> with the title of your book. Yay! Because my book is set in large part on an icebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I love when like serendipitous things happen. <laughs> the book I read is called The Ship Beneath the Ice by Menson Bound. I've been promising to read this one. This is the story of the expeditions that found Shackleton's ship Endurance under the, oh, yes. the uh, Antarctic ice. And given that you know what's happening, I mean, there are no spoiler alerts needed here. We know they found the ship. It was all over the news a year ago. But... He still makes the telling of the story suspenseful. To back up a little bit, the man who wrote the book, Menson Bound, was the director of the expedition, as opposed to the captain of the ship. The ship actually had two captains, the main captain and someone specifically designated as the ice captain to deal with the conditions of the ice and how they were going to break the ice. And the ship they were on, which was... The Agulhas, the Agulhas too, was a South African ship. It was a huge ship. As they said, Shackleton's original ship basically could have sat on the bow section of this ship. It's over 400 feet long. It is 
course, armor clad for ice breaking. And I thought icebreakers just kind of ran at the ice and smacked into them and, and forced their way through that way. But this one actually is they rev the engines up and take a as fast a, a charge at the ice as they can. And it's designed so the ship rides up over the ice at an angle and then falls down on top of it like a hammer coming down on the ice. And they're talking about ice four and five meters thick. It's, how many meter? Uh, how many feet thick is that? Four or five? Uh, feet, that'd be a meter's be like, a little over a little over a yard. So yeah, as much as twelve, fifteen feet thick. Thick, yeah. But say, hold, oh, that's like two, six feet. Yeah, people, like head standing on top of each other. Yeah, okay. So we can all ice. be on the metric system at this point. Yeah. Really, we're really just the slackers that haven't switched yet. Yeah, I mean, it's even called the English system, and England has abandoned it. England still uses miles, though. Well, they they like they some kilometers. They use both. Mm. Sometimes you'll see stuff like if you're talking to somebody, I feel like sometimes they'll tell you it's X amount of miles. And then other times they'll tell you it's like I think they use miles for like longer distance sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. But I remember being confused when I was over there. I was like, did you just tell me you miles? I mean, I appreciate it. (laughs) But like, okay. In February of 2019, they set out with this first expedition, which they put together. They had a fair amount of information to work off of because there were, I believe, nine different members of the original endurance crew who kept diaries. And one of them, who was the really crack navigator from that original crew, had recordings of coordinates of where the ship went down. But things can drift. Things can change over the years that had been a hundred years since a little over a hundred years since the ship had gone down and the Weddell Sea, which it was under, is covered with ice almost all the time. In fact, he describes having the charts that he lays out and he said the British navigational charts for the oceans are full of the contour lines showing the rise and fall and depth of the ocean floor. He said, until you get to the Weddell Sea, when the lines stop, because no one knows what it's like down there. No, they've never been able to measure it. They, it's always frozen over. And so they uh, they break their way through the ice. They have uh, remote controlled uh, submarine type vehicles to send down and look around. And evidently operating these things is a really, really delicate process because there's a whole crew of people involved. And for one thing, they're on a, a long cable along tether and if it snags on anything even though it's kevlar coated if the optic fiber optics inside break they're screwed so they spent a lot of time and the first expedition after searching for almost two weeks they had a, a window of time that this ship was rented for they get to the end and the little automated thing just goes down and disappears and never comes back and they're not able to retrieve it they almost get frozen in the ice because even this icebreaker, things will reach a point where it can't get through. If it can't get enough of a room to back up and run at the ice before it goes up over it, they are in big trouble. So they barely get out. And then the pandemic hits. And three years later, in February of 2022, they got all the resources together and went back. And they have an improved underwater system to look around. And eventually they do find the endurance. It's interesting because at the end of every single entry, and the the book is based on his diary. 
And so it's a day by day accounting. And at the end of every entry, he lists the ge geological or not geological, geographical uh, coordinates of what their position was at noon on that day until they get to when they actually find the ship. Because one of the things that they agreed to do is not make public the location of the ship because they don't want people going down there and messing with it. They're going to try and preserve it as an archaeological find. A couple of the things that make this book fascinating, just because besides the fact that I'm weirdly obsessed with the Antarctic and particularly Shackleton and hey, we and all have story. our fandom things. Yours yeah. is just the Antarctic. It's OK. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, Menson Bound, is a marine archaeologist. I didn't even know that category of profession exists, but he spent his career excavating shipwrecks from the bottom of the ocean floor all over the world. And for one thing, this book has made me want to go because I, I looked. It's like he's written some other books about just excavating archaeological ships. And so him like, and Bob Ballard are probably besties and uh, that's the dream. <laughs> so I'm, I think I will be checking out some of his other books. Like there was one experience that he talked about where they were looking at a wreck and he said, usually, you know, wrecks can are teeming with life because things move into them. And he said, this one had no life around it. It was like a dead zone around this wreck. And then they noticed that there were bubbles coming up from the floor of the ocean bed, just randomly streams of bubbles. And after about half an hour down there, their lips were starting to tingle. And they took all these occurrences and described them to someone who had the right knowledge to go, oh, that's because you were swimming in the submerged crater of an active volcano. No, this wasn't the Antarctic one, though, right? No, this was, no, okay, this this, was another. Yeah, this was in the dive to that one. It was in the Mediterranean one. So, yeah, the endurance they said is roughly nine thousand or three thousand meters, which is about nine thousand feet plus okay, yeah. down. Deep, deep submersible yeah, Titan submarine, not yeah, compatible not levels. not quite as deep as the Titanic, but yeah, deep and much and perfectly preserved. They they had a couple of pictures that they were able to take with the remote camera. And he wow. said, at, the, at that depth, water doesn't destroy things. It preserves it. It's like almost like putting it in ice only. Well, I mean, Probably it's because of the pressure. Yeah. The pressure so extreme. It's like burying it in the ground, I would imagine. Yeah. Like Titanic, if you look at the original footage that like Bob Ballard and stuff took, not since, you know, yahoos have gone down there and torn it up. The parts, I mean, like the ship was other than the stern that was pretty mangled, like the bow and stuff was pretty intact when the, mm -hmm. in the for the Titanic, like you could still see where the grand staircase was like there's still chandeliers hanging like. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. How, and with with endurance, the masts tore off, the masts got caught in the ice and ripped off yeah. as it went down and the, the bow sprit came off. But other than that, it's sitting perfectly upright. That's it's crazy. Not, not buried in silt. It doesn't even have much growth on it of, of anything. They can still see the paint on it. Oh, that's like a true ghost ship feel right there. Yeah. He's hoping to, I think, get the ball rolling on. They said it's, we can't raise it with today's technology, but he said someday we will be able to raise it. And he hopes that they keep it safe until then and raise it and put it well, in the well, museum. Well, the good news is it. that because of the Titan disaster, probably deep sea adventurers are going to not be as quick to go do stupid shit. 
One would hope so. Maybe. Some of that stuff is so valuable that you're always going to have people who want quick money and think, oh, well, I can just dive in this shipwreck and grab some stuff and sell it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I hate that, especially because it's where because his did his crew survive. I know you reviewed that book. Did, the, did none of the crew survive, did they? The endurance. All of them did. That was oh, that's the, right. They walked out. The, right. Did they walk that, out? They, they took that. They had their little couple little lifeboats and they rode for several okay. days to an island. And then Shackleton took one more boat across the stormiest part of the oceans okay, in the world. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And, and then they Sorry, went back. I'm not and, going on that and recount the whole book again. No, no, no. Yes, I just they all got out. And they went, <laughs> so they went back like and got graveyard. the rest of the people from the island, right? Is that that book? Yeah, they went back. and Yeah, yeah okay. They, because and, I read that book. I know you reviewed it, but I read it after you reviewed it because yeah, I was like. They, yeah. they were they were on, so, on that island for another couple of months, yeah. all, or better than a year, I think, but until okay. they finally got another boat back to rescue them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. It's awesome that they found, but at least it's not like a grave that somebody is disturbing. I yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is was what I was thinking out loud. Yeah, this really sad part, and he keeps making mention of this. They had to shoot the ship's cat. They were they couldn't keep her alive on the on the ice, and so rather than let her slowly suffer, they shot the cat. And the guy who was uh, Chippy, who was their carpenter, and they called the cat Mrs. Chippy because she was like his special buddy and never really forgave Shackleton for it. That's another interesting part in this book because a lot of the books you read about the endurance make it sound like it was the ultimate kind of let's all pull together British stiff upper lip, you know, and we'll get through this. And Bound says when you read all the diaries, you realize there was a fair amount of bickering and fighting and people did not just have a cheerful attitude and oh, I bet not. Yeah. Let's get through this kind of thing. I mean, they're probably like this Yahoo yeah. over here. Thanks. Like. Yeah. They, they'd get really annoyed with each other. And so, and there was a lot of, there was actually some class stuff on mm-hmm. the ship and, you know, upper class versus yep. the lower class of British society. And Oh yes. So, yeah, he brings in a lot from the diaries, both from Shackleton's book that he wrote, which, as he said, the thing with Shackleton is he had an eye on his legacy for the future. Of course. So he really whitewashed everything and made it yeah. all. Down. He's like, we all were the best of friends and we made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he pulls all that stuff in and and really makes the crew of the original Endurance come alive for you, as well as the crew that he's working with and his admiration for, and just the pure science and the amount of technology that went into this, this whole thing is just amazing. So if you have any interest in modern day exploration or in the old great age of Antarctic exploration, I think you would find this a really fascinating book. That is The Ship Beneath the Ice by Menson Bound. Is the endurance isn't the one a national treasure, is it? Uh, it's been too long since I've seen National Treasure. I just Treasure. thought about that remember. when we were talking No, because about the, ship. the one in uh, National Treasure was in um, the Arctic, not Antarctica. Oh, the Charlotte. The Charlotte, uh, That yeah. ship's called the Charlotte. I didn't know if it was, a, maybe it's supposed to be like a play, but was the Charlotte real? Now, see, I yeah, I read a book where they were looking for the Charlotte. Oh, it was a real ship, though. Yeah. The Charlotte was a, in 1784. It was actually a ship. Okay. I didn't I mean, review so much... that one, but um, I read one that that was about an expedition oh. looking for the Charlotte. Yeah. The British it's, ship was it's... lost off the coast of Newfoundland in 1818 and was never found. Ah. Uh-huh. 
And they think it went up into the Arctic? Uh, no, I don't think they know. Sure. I think in the movie oh. they're like in ice, but if they're off the coast of Newfoundland, it could still be icy. Still, yeah, yeah, I thought they were in the Arctic, but I mean, they could have just been very, very north of the equator <laughs> yeah. in the ice. It just made me, when you were talking about that, I was like, wait, was that the book? And I was like, hold on, my brain's just kicking into gear. Like, It's not like National Treasure is probably like historically correct. In they every have a lot aspect, of history in there. There, there are a lot, lot of correct stuff, but I mean, it's not like you watch it for a history lesson. You watch it because you want to see people like fighting and chasing, and no, but that's cool. That I, I love when they find like stuff that they haven't been able to find. Like that's always yeah. When technology's finally to the point where we can say like, when just because they think they know where it is doesn't mean that's where they it actually is. Oh yeah, it can drift. On- yeah. I mean, they knew where the Titanic was and they still couldn't find it. Like, mm-hmm. so it- Yeah. And as far as what you were talking about, the bickering between mm-hmm. the shipmates went after the endurance went down and they're like, you know, stuck on this island. Could you imagine being stuck with the same? What was it like? 12, 14 20, people, about 25 of them, I 25 think 20, people for like. Yeah. And that's the only people that you see for like two years. Uh huh. I mean, there's sometimes that I'm stuck with somebody for like eight hours and I just am losing my mind. And that's not even because they're bad people. It's just because I'm like, I just want to not be around you right now. Yeah, that's fair. The, the volcano one made me think of when you're talking about there's like diving over a vol- like the, the volcano thing uh-huh. that when I last time, well, both times that I've had the honor of seeing bob ballard talk he was talking about those like underwater volcanoes so maybe that was who he called i don't know might have been but i remember being so mad because i've now heard him talk about those damn volcanoes like twice the black smokers and stuff and i was like bro all i want to hear you talk about is the titanic (laughs) (laughs) all of that stuff is so interesting i would watch nature documentaries like 24 7 if i could just i I love yeah. listening to Bob Ballard, but when it was like I was in high school the first time, like freshman year. So like Titanic was still very relevant to a room full of high schoolers. Yeah. And he's talking about like these worms he found and like these underwater volcanoes. And we're like, but did Jack really die? Like, <laughs> Why couldn't he get on the door <laughs> with okay, Rose? No. Couldn't she move over? People just don't want Leo DiCaprio to drown. I'm sorry. He uh, drowns. You know, the number of movies that Leo dies in is astonishing. Mm-hmm. If you look at his like, d- like filmography and just like go through and be like, "Yep, died. Yep, died. Yep, died." <laughs> like, he dies in like was I would the whole bet time. 80, yeah, eighty percent of his movies, Leo dies in. So I'm I and there was like um I the first trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon came out. And I swear there was a shot of him like in a in the dirt, like looking. And it might not have been him; it could have been another actor. But I was like, ah, because I haven't read the book. I'm waiting. I'm gonna review it right before the movie comes out. And I was like, I swear to God, Leo, my man. Why do you have to? Maybe it's how he keeps from ever having to do a sequel. He's like, if I just keep picking characters that die, I don't ever have to do a, do a sequel. Right. That's like, one good way to look at it. I don't like sequels, so I'm just gonna die at the end. Yeah. Which that way, really, if they even really do, because didn't he? He actually survived in the Revenant, didn't he? Or I like, think he did. You should have died. You should have died. I didn't watch. I haven't, I haven't watched that one, but I do believe. Yeah, 
convenient. The only one he doesn't die in is the only one he wins an Oscar for. There's a pattern here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he was in town. He was in Tulsa again the other day. They did like a screening of the movie. And I was like, why is this man all close to me all this time for like the past two years? And I still haven't. I haven't saw him. Yeah, well, I think I did see him when I was in Tulsa when they were filming last year. He had like a he was on a scooter with some friends or people and he had a hat on and we were walking to a Hanson show because it was that weekend. I was like, bro, like there's so many people here. They're going to lose their minds like in Leo's in town. This could end bad. And we came out of the bakery that we, we came out of Antoinette's and a, he was like across the street by another store. And I stopped dead stopped dead in my tracks my friend aaron's like what i was like i swear to god that's leo and she was like no and i was like no no i know those eyes like i swear to god and so we kept walking and he crossed us like we're at like a t of the intersection and he's like looking at us and i was like i think that's leo i think that's leo i think like and i didn't say anything because i didn't want to be like blow his cover yeah and he's probably watching you walk and looking at me like shit don't stop Fuck, don't stop. Well, God he was damn on a it, scooter, don't recognize so he him. Had the, he had the upper hand because he was on a scooter. If it was him, he had way You don't hand. think that some crazy fans would chase that scooter and cause a riot? All well, these no, people's... my only thought was at first I was like, dear God, don't go up to Canes. Because I was like, there are like 300, like there's hundreds of Hanson fans up the road. Like, don't <laughs> go that way because we're all the same age. Like, if it's you, don't go that way, bro. And then the next morning we went and we're watching at the set and I had told my friends, I was like, guys, I think I just saw Leo on a scooter. Like, and they're like, you sure? I was like, those eyes are so distinct, like core memory there. And the next morning at the set, somebody was like, yeah, somebody said he was on a scooter going around downtown. And I was like, are you shitting me? I was like, I could have touched him. He was so close. <laughs> I could have knocked him off his scooter. I could have, I could have like, he could have run over me. <laughs> I could have been an obstacle he had to get around. I don't know if it was him, but my soul tells me, like, just because my immediate first reaction when I saw him was, that's Leo. Yeah, like, they always say, go with your first instinct. Yeah. So I think I saw him. I'm still sad if it was him that I didn't form words enough to be like, Leo? <laughs> like, Is that you? Because it wasn't anybody else. It was like me and my friend Aaron, and everybody else was already on the other side. So, like, if it had been him, it would have been perfect because there was nobody else there that would have been able to be like, like attack. Like we were kind of, yeah. But I, to this, I will, I'm saying it was him because it was just my first gut reaction was that was Leo. Oh no, my we God. We don't do a lot of. Do you know, speaking of gross and disgusting, the other day I went home to check on the dogs at lunch and I had Tyler's dogs with me because it was when they were having to spray his apartment. And um, I let them out and everything, and I'm getting Echo's uh, treat ready so that I can put them up and everything. And the dogs are going crazy. I'm like, what the hell are the dogs doing? I look at the other room, and they're freaking chasing a mouse. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know how a mouse would get into my apartment. I live in the freaking city. That's supposed to be like a country problem. Yeah, but they're doing all that construction right there at the hospital. That tears up. Oh, uh, like, my God. But and I, mice are everywhere. Yeah. I'm happy to say they caught it. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. So And so, you know, I ended up being a couple minutes late for work because I had to figure out what to do with this freaking dead mouse in the middle of my living room after the dogs killed it. Mm. But they got yeah. it. So and maybe, you know, I'm going to hang his little body outside to for 
a message to all the other mice, kind of like what mice. they did to the uh, pirates way back when. Yeah. Like, thou shalt not enter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, oh, no. I have a little lizard friend that is often in my front yard this time of year, and I'm like, okay, here's the deal, yo. You can continue to live in this garden, but you must stay in the garden. Yeah, just stay out <laughs> here. Don't come yeah. in the house. If you come into the house or into the storm shelter, no promises. Yeah. I had, I had mice under my front porch when I first when I lived here at first, and uh, they did not much come into the house because the house with six cats. Oh mice yeah, last <laughs> long in there. Yeah, but they would. I would put the live traps out there, and so they'd climb into the little box to get their like Captain yeah. Crunch. They loved Captain Crunch for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Bougie mice, Pat. Bougie yeah. mice. Yeah, and so they'd climb in, get their little sugar fix, and get stuck in there. And I would walk them out to the end of the driveway. It's like an eighty, about an eighty foot driveway. Walk them out there dump them out and my husband was like you know they're back at the house before you even get back probably <laughs> you said bougie mice with the captain crunch i was thinking stoned mice what kind of garden were they in <laughs> what kind of plants were they eating <laughs> they were Some like stoned we know mice going, stuff oh yeah. dude look captain crunch <laughs> Whoa, my go- garden's really only good like that way for cats i have a ton of catnip do you uh, <laughs> maybe the mice get high on the catnip too maybe so Maybe, maybe that's, that's why, the why they chase the mice, or maybe why the cats haven't ch- has, haven't caught those mice. They're too high on the catnip. They're like, which way did it go? Dude, Captain Crunch, come this way. The cats would just be like, "Ooh, catnip stuffed mice." We- <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Oh. Your cats going to end this. Cats what bring in we- a dead mouse, and they're like. Red eyed going, dead. Where's the Captain Crunch? (laughs) We'll just have all these little high mice. Instead of like the three blind mice, it's the three high mice (laughs) just running around. (laughs) Running into walls and stuff. Whoa. (laughs) When did you put that wall up? Oh, God. Could have swore there was a hole there. <laughs> All I can think yeah. of is Jerry from like Tom and Jerry <laughs> running into the wall <laughs> instead of his the little hole. hole. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, oh. So, you know what the favorite song of the High Mice is? What's no. that? And then I got high. And then I got high. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to do it for Three Three Book Book Girls. Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.